1: This is The Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New
2: York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. I have three topics that I'm eager to cover with you this morning. Now later on in the hour i want to give you a a quick update regarding that uh, impromptu survey that i did last week on the on the most pressing issues in youth and amateur sports as you might imagine um i I received quite a bit of feedback on that wide open topic and i want to share with you some extra follow-up thoughts and then for those of you who uh, who did go to my website at AskCoachWolf.com and had a chance to look at that video of yours truly playing minor league baseball in my late 30s, I, I want to give you the surprise ending from my stint with the South Bend White Sox back in 1989. But first up, we are of course in the middle of the Final Four weekend in college basketball. March Madness has been a lot of fun this year, especially because of the amazing run of St. Peter's. But this morning, I want to discuss with you a new and potentially significant development when it comes to how young basketball players are being the taught the game. Are being taught the game of basketball in Australia, and why this new approach should be, at least in my opinion. Somehow, it seems to be welcome news to American basketball fans. And, of course, we'll take your calls at 877-337-6666. Look, I think it's fair to say that when it comes to showcasing young basketball players these days, a great deal of the spotlight is shined on individual talents. Now, kids today, at least here in the United States seem to gravitate towards individual stats, such as how many points I scored or how many rebounds I pulled down. And look, let's be honest here, a lot of the top players in the NBA and in college play the game as though it's all about isolating their own talents against the other team. Now, for me at least, this makes for a very boring and, quite frankly, sort of a selfish kind of game, which really isn't especially entertaining... And nor does it lend itself to to winning games, which, of course, is the overall purpose of the sport. So, this past week, did you happen to see the article in the New York Times about what's happening with the development of point guards in Australia? In short, the NBA's Global Academy, which opened just a few years ago in 2017, uh, it was started because the NBA wanted to find more ways to grow the game abroad and to develop high school-age prospects from around the world. This program has quickly honed a reputation for producing a certain type of elite young player, point guards from Australia. And in the Times article, which was written by uh, Scott Cacciola, he interviewed Marty Clark, who's an Australian who runs this program in Canberra. And it totally emphasized that it's all about passing, not individual stats like scoring. And by the way, my thanks to a longtime Sports Edge listener, Ken Kolb, for making sure I saw this article. In he event, Marty Clark, who's in his 50s, described the distinctly Australian concept of mateship, and that's what he calls it, mateship, which prioritizes teamwork Selflessness and loyalty says Clark quote culturally, it's instilled in us from a young age that it's more about the team or the family or the business than it is about the individual. And if you work in that direction, you as a basketball player will be rewarded. Case in point? Well, you can look at Josh Giddy, the uh, six eight uh, guard from Australia who was drafted six overall uh, by the Oklahoma Thunder last year, and has had a fine rookie season in the NBA before getting hurt. So, uh, you know, the fact is, in addition to mateship, Marty Clark also emphasizes what he calls positionless basketball, which basically describes much of the modern NBA, offensive sets in which the players can swap roles and pretty much operate all over the court. In Canberra, players learn all aspects of the game it does not matter if you're a point guard or a power forward in short everybody everybody is doing ball handling and everybody is doing post work now you get the idea in a world of american basketball with a focus uh, an aau and club ball is all about individual scoring and the so-called look at me approach this australian philosophy sounds to be totally well refreshing and pretty much uh, a new page In fact, for those of us who grew up at a time when the Knicks were all about passing back uh, in their two championship seasons, this Australian approach sounds like a return to how basketball is supposed to be played. It's team play in basketball. And apparently, NBA scouts and top college coaches are really paying attention to this Australian way of developing players. So is that now the future of the NBA in college and high school ball? All right. That's, that's a little background, and so what I did was I decided to ask Noah Savage, uh, who's been on the show several times in the past, Noah, of course, does college basketball on air for ESPN, to come on the show this morning to discuss all this. Now, Noah was an all-Ivy League sharpshooting forward at Princeton, and he's also a, a product of AA ball in this area, and just for the record, so we're clear and transparent, Noah happens to be my son-in-law. Okay, Noah, good morning. How are you today?
3: Hey Rick, good morning. How's
2: it going? Good to talk to you. Now look, you, you heard what I just said about this situation in Australia. And, and you know, um, we've talked about other developments of basketball in recent years, but are, are we, is this new approach with Australia on, on focusing on just passing and, and passing, making a great pass is more important than just perhaps making the, the score? Are we on the verge of seeing a major change in the development of young basketball players?
3: Well, I don't think so, Rick. Um, I think it's it's been an approach that's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, not to stroke my own uh, alumni group here, but especially at Princeton, you always had guys who passed, dribbled, and, and shot. And I think every five, ten years there's an article about this where they either go, well, the European way is the right way or the Australian way. But whenever I hear somebody, a fan come up to me and they go, I love – the college game, but I can't watch the NBA. They're too selfish. Yep, I go, you need to watch the current NBA, which has an incredible international presence. They score more points than ever. They pass the ball at an, at an elite level. So I think this is kind of a, a retread of a story we hear every five years where we hear, well, you know, foreign players can really pass, but Americans can't. But I think this is the way the game is is going and has been going for a long time. You can't just be a big center who doesn't shoot a three anymore. You can't be a center who doesn't uh, put the ball on the floor or can't pass. And if you watch the NBA today or you watch certain teams in college, uh, they could really pass the ball. You know, I think about Davidson with Hun Lee, who's an NBA Academy alum as well. And there's a bunch of guys and women actually on the women's side who are part of this NBA Academy. So I don't know if it's a new approach, but I think it's the right approach.
2: You know <laughs> – you're, you, you uh, as I mentioned, of course, you played at Princeton, but uh, you, you came along uh, after Pete Carrill. And, you know, for those of us of a certain age uh, who watched Princeton basketball back in the day and Pete Carrill, and it was all about that weave and, and trying to sort of lull the opposition into a, a sense of, like, security, all of a sudden there'd be a backdoor pass uh, for an easy uh-huh. layup. That, to me, is sort of like almost in, in lockstep with how the Knicks did with their two championship seasons. Uh, it was all about the, the the crowds would always sort of applaud and celebrate the great pass, which led to the score. I, I'm not so sure that happens any much so much more these days when it comes to, to the NBA. Do you feel that way or not?
3: Oh, no. A hundred percent does. I mean, if you watch teams like the Utah Jazz, uh, you watch teams like the Memphis Grizzlies, The passing and the skill level in the NBA is higher than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Um, I was at the Knicks game yesterday. The score was 69-60 to at halftime. I mean, (laughs) the teams score a lot of points because they really pass the basketball. Now, at the youth level, I don't know if that is trickling down yet because there is so much garbage on the Internet about skill development for young players where they're practicing moves that you beat one guy there's two other guys you try to beat them rather than just throwing it to the open person in the corner or down low so I don't know if it's trickled down to youth sports yet because I see you know I watched the McDonald's All-America game last week and it was brutal it was absolutely unwatchable selfish play and I know it's an all-star game but high school guys coming to college still have that You know, get to the hoop at any cost mindset. Sometimes, so I don't know if it's trickled down to the youth level uh, at this point.
2: That's exactly, and we're talking uh, this morning with Noah Savage of ESPN, and that's what I'm talking about. I mean, the fact is, you look at the the kids today. Uh, and again, we'll, come, we'll go to your own experiences with AAU ball. You are basically being groomed to to try to impress uh, college coaches and scouts to say, "Look at me! I can really score. I can re- just isolate me, and I'll, I'll be two or three uh, defenders." Uh, what they're doing with Australia with the with the Global Academy is they're trying to go in the opposite direction, saying, "No, we're going to emphasize pass, pass, pass. Not so much about trying to uh, do it yourself as an individual star." And uh, you know. Y- y- Yes, we know, of course, that there are great, great scorers in the NBA. We know that. I mean, Kevin Durant had a had a career high last night, but you know, he, he, the team lost. I mean, the fact is, it's not always necessarily about the just the scoring. It's how do we get the passing to, as you say, to, to really basically make sure everybody's involved. The team is just you, you can't defenders can't move as fast as a really well placed uh, pass, and I think that's that's what we're trying to get to. Um, so, you know, I think we're, we're I mean, how do, if the Australian kids are being taught this, why aren't the American kids being taught this as well? Are they afraid they'll be, they'll be bypassed by, by the, the coaches and, and the scouts?
3: No, and I think like you can't generalize, right, for, the, for everybody and say nobody's teaching. this. There's, there's plenty of good coaches that teach passing and teach movement off the ball. Uh, but I think that the impact of social media is huge the impact of what does your Instagram look like? What does your highlight reel look like if you're a young player? Mm-hmm. And there is a lot of celebration of individual skill and, you know, guys like Kyrie Irving who split the trap and then they beat two more guys with these, you know, it's like basically one on four. I can't stand watching him. Um, and if you're a young player and you like him, I think your head's probably in the wrong place, but there are, there's hundreds of NBA players who are phenomenal passers that guys can look to. And I think Australia has just created a pipeline from Patty Mills to Joe Ingalls to now to Josh Giddey Mm -hmm. of guys who are unselfish players and college coaches do value passing and they do value team play. So a lot of times you get, you get AAU players and high school players trying to impress a college coach and they actually hurt themselves more by trying to play selfish And you know it's it's like trying to play to impress someone else rather than just play the game to win. And then you know the recruits will you know the recruiters will find you if you're good enough.
2: No, we're talking about these great point guards and how they basically add a refreshing touch to the game. I mean, uh, looking back in your own career in college, I mean jeremy lynn i mean when jeremy lynn played for the knicks i mean the game suddenly blossomed and and it opened up and it was such fun to watch lynn you know uh, you know dart here and dart there and make the great pass and just sort of sped up the game it was much more entertaining now i know you played against lynn in college uh why don't we see more guys like like jeremy lynn i mean i just don't understand why more college programs aren't trying to focus on that kind of talent
3: well, I don't know, if you watched if you watched the game last night and it was an all-time great Final Four game between Duke and UNC, I thought you saw a, a ton of great passing. And, you know, another, another point to make is that the officiating, I think, in college is still not at the level of the NBA. Yeah. And every year we get a video that says, this year we're going to call hand-checking, this year we're going to call the moving screens, this year we're going to clean up post-play, and in November they call it, Rick. But by the time we get to March... And especially before the tournament starts in the conference tournaments, it is a wrestling match at the college level. Because if you look at the skill level of players, it's incredibly high. But the scoring doesn't match how high the skill level is sometimes because there's a lot of fouling that goes on and goes uncalled. And even in this tournament, I think there's been games that have been incredibly physical. So I think if the college coaches want want the game to be more free-flowing, you know, there continues to be, need to be more emphasis on freedom of movement. And that's a, another huge reason I love the NBA is that the refs are phenomenal. And the players are so good that they adjust to the officiating. And that's why we've seen scoring skyrocket on the NBA level. But I think it is a product of the passing. So, you know, if you're watching with a young player, point out the good passes, point out the spacing. Um, you know, watch Clay Thompson play and dribble twice the entire game and get 30 points. <laughs> you know, you've got to point out and teach the game to young players. You can't just have them watch on Instagram and, yeah, they're going to see the highlight individual play. But if you watch the game and explain, look at the space and he's standing in the corner, or look at the, the way he cut back door and got somebody else open, you know, I think the game isn't a great place, but it needs to be taught to young players because the, influ- uh, the influence of social media is staggering.
2: Well I was going to say I think you sort of pretty did a nice job there of crystallizing the issue that on one hand the coaches uh, at, at the amateur levels should take the time and obviously you know highlight, let me show you a great pass and how this whole play develops. Uh, the score was easy. It was a dunk or a layup. But to get to that point, somebody had to have a real presence, have real sort of perimeter vision on the court, set up that pass, make it happen. That's the key to success. Uh, but again, as you said, right now we're still in a world, especially here in the U.S., when it comes to Instagram and highlight reels and social media, cuz that's what the players think that the, that's going to attract the coaches uh and their attention and and you know maybe there's there's some validity to that too i mean look we know that coaches want to get guys who can score but the fact is if you want to win you got to get those those players who really do have the ability to see the open man and make that that brilliant pass
3: yeah and if you watched the game last night and it was probably it was probably eight nba players on the court at any given time in the duke unc game but most of the scoring, if you, if you tracked most of the scoring, it was penetrate and kick, open threes. yep, Or it was drive, get fouled, get to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it was offensive rebounds. So it was fundamental play. And it's amazing how much I see young players working on dribble moves and, and setbacks and all these kind of very advanced plays that you probably shouldn't make unless you are pro. But most of the scoring still comes from the free throw line, three-point line, and layups.
4: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and
3: what was amazing to me during this tournament was Villanova makes the final four and a huge reason is because they were the number one free throw shooting team in the country (laughs) so as much as you can dress up the game and you can you know pack you know 10,000 fans into the arena and you can have a million sponsors the fundamentals still come through at the end the team that makes free throws doesn't turn it over and knocks down open shots is going to win the game so you know, again, if, when I'm watching with a, with a young player who's in high school or in middle school, I try to point out that guy's the best player on the court because he shoots 86 from the free throw line, he makes every layup, he makes open jump shots, and he doesn't turn it over. Yeah, All that, all that other stuff you don't really need to become a good player.
2: We're talking with Noah Savage of ESPN, uh, uh, and uh, we're going to, we're, we'll come back after the break, uh, Noah. We'll, we'll take some calls as well. Of course, the number here is 877-337-6666. We'll take a timeout. When I return, we'll, we'll continue our conversation about what's happening in terms of teaching kids how to play ba- basketball the right way. Stay with me. Talking this morning with ESPN's Noah Savage about this uh, new development in Australia in terms of developing uh, basketball players where the emphasis is on passing and team play more than individual stats. And uh, we'll get to your calls in a second at 877-337-6666. You know, here's here's to me the bottom line on this, Noah. And, um, you know, if-, if you're a college coach and we know the games are all about whoever team scores the most points, that's how you win in basketball. We get that. But if I'm looking to recruit top players i think the first thing that everybody looks at is oh well this i'm bringing in a bunch of kids who can really score and then you bring all these kids in who can score but it turns out they're not very you know skilled in other parts of the game like passing or like being an unselfish teammate that can really backfire now as i said earlier on you were when you were playing aau ball uh not that long ago i mean clearly uh, you and your teammates you must have always thought about my scoring is as in, am i am i going to catch the, the attention of all the college coaches because i score a lot or did you ever give any thought about your passing or other parts of your play
3: well I, me particularly no i didn't as you know but uh the, the problem <laughs> with, with aau basketball is there's there's games you play to win yeah and then there's games you play to showcase okay and when you're showcasing The ball isn't getting reversed back to the other side. It's going up before it comes back around. So if you ever watch a G League game, it it can get kind of brutal. Every guy who catches the ball is trying to do something with it. And that, that does happen in AAU a lot where the first time a guy gets it, he's trying to go, he's trying to get into the paint, he's trying to score. You know, you're not playing purely to win. Now, that being said, I'm not going to hate on AAU basketball. There's a ton of AAU coaches who do a great job, mm-hmm. and it, it is important to get seen. It's the number one way you're going to get seen you know, during my era and today is to play AAU. Mm-hmm. But when you think about what the motivation is, it is to showcase your talent. It's not to win the game. So there's a lot of guys who get to the college level, and they've actually played very few games where winning or losing mattered or was the most important thing. Interesting. Even at, even at a high level. Yeah, because they've they've played in a million showcases, but they've never played. We got to win this game or we go home. We got to win this game because there's always the next tournament, you know, next next weekend, the weekend after that. So that's the difference is that, you know, it's like the Herm Edwards. You play to win the game, except in AAU, you play really for the exposure. So it does become a a different motivation.
2: Interesting perspective on that. I'm glad you pointed that out because, yeah, I mean, this is all part of the pipeline to get noticed uh, by coaches but in the fact that, as you said, very few of these talented players have actually played games which have a real uh, real meaning to them in terms of winning or losing. It's more about, again, showcasing their talents. Um, yeah And just
3: as a side note to that, Rick, is that I know a college coach who won't recruit a kid unless he sees them play on his high school team as well as his AAU team. And he's like, the competition is not as good at high school, but they're running a system and they're trying to win. That's what he says. He's like, it's a little bit more like college where – you're trying to do something on offense. You have a system, and you're trying to win the game.
2: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, that's, that's good to hear. Okay, let's let's take some calls. Let's uh, start this morning. Let's go to Ralph in Manhattan. Hey, Ralph. Good morning. You're first up on the fan.
5: Good morning, Rick. Good uh, Noah. What's happening? You know, I'll tell you. Basketball is the ultimate team game. If you're, you know, if you, to my uh, knowledge, you got to look the best shot each time down, and you know when you're. Um, hinging your bets on three-point shots—that whole um, strategy is down the. Tr- I, I, you know, the three-point shot has done more damage. Where it used to be a luxury, it used to be something you relied on to get back in a ball game. It, it's now a strategy uh, that's 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 uh, used throughout the ball game, and that's pretty much destroyed the game. But again, this team game that we so uh, love, it's got to come back to where it used to be. You know, I hark back to the New York Knicks. I go back that far. 1969-70, when these guys played the ultimate team game, probably the best five ever assembled on a basketball court.
2: Yeah, Ralph, that's an interesting perspective as well. And and uh, you know, Noah um, and we you and I have debated this too that, you know, through analytics, the NBA has decided well, it, it's a better and more productive uh way of trying to win games if we have we shoot more three balls than take a 15-foot jump shot. Uh Ralph, thank you for the call this morning as always. Noah, what about that? I mean, is that is that doesn't that run counter to the whole uh, Ralph's point is, you know, it
0: runs counter yeah, so to team play?
3: With all due respect to Ralph, I hard disagree couldn't disagree more the three-point shot is great for the game it's great for spacing and the shooters nowadays both at the nba college and high school level are the are the best shooters we've ever seen Mm -hmm. so if you practice it your feet are set it's a great shot and you know that's not just coming from me that's that's borne out in this in the data analysis that a good open three-point shot is a good shot and also it doesn't really have anything to do with team play because you know, penetrate and kick basketball to shoot threes like Villanova does. It's beautiful basketball. You know, they get, they get easy twos at the hoop or they get penetrate and kick wide open threes. I think it's good basketball.
2: And I, I think I should point out in all fairness to our listeners that, yeah, you, you made your reputation as a three-ball shooter yourself. So <laughs> this is sort of like near and dear to your heart, correct?
3: Uh, no doubt. But also, you know, the players shoot more of them, but they practice them more.
2: So it's yeah. become a good shot. Uh, okay, let's move on. Let's go to uh, let's go to Steve up in Westport. Uh, hey, Steve, you're next up on the fan. Good morning. Good, good morning, guys. The first time
4: calling, but I have to tell you, I was compelled to call because my all-time favorite basketball player is Dollar Bill Bradley. He combined sure. playing for the you know the, the the Knicks in their their heyday and the highlight of of um, of being a fan of of the Knicks in the early '70s, and then following his career even earlier at Princeton. Yep. Um but you were talking about, you know, Pete Carrill and the motion offense, the backdoor screens, moving off the ball. I'd really be interested to hear Noah about your firsthand experiences, um, how, just the philosophy of how Princeton ran that backdoor offense. Um, you know, from a firsthand perspective, it seems sure. to me they 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 move the ball through uh, a center at the high post, and then somehow they magically would have all these backdoors. Uh, they, they worked the clock, and there was a weave. But I would, I would just love to hear, since you were you know part of the, the um, part of the team, just what intellectually, what was the philosophy of how that they made that all happen?
3: It was- sure.
4: Yeah. Well, it, number one, it was it was all set up by
3: the three point shot, right? So it was a lot of great spacing with shooters around the center, and then when you when you play a two man game with a handoff, you can either come off and get the handoff and shoot the three, or go back door. So again, to our last caller's point, all those beautiful back doors are set up by the threat of shooting it from the outside. So it all starts with really shooting.
2: Now uh, And, Steve, thank you for, for the call this morning. No, now, you mentioned early on about you know, schools like, uh, and as we obviously see so much more parity in college basketball, you know, schools like Davidson and Richmond and, and schools like that, Well, they really do seem to emphasize the passing uh, and there's very little dribbling, very little uh, personal isolation. Uh, is, are we going to see more of this, do you think? Yeah, for sure.
3: I mean, we, we saw it up and down the tournament. You know, you saw with St. Peter's really skilled guards with, yeah. you know, two wings, the Drame twins who were really skilled as well. Casey Nadefo, I mean, you know, they didn't, they, they played really hard on the defensive end, but they're a good passing team too. And, and even with, you know, I love the way Villanova plays. I think that they are, they are the modern uh, blueprint for how to play college basketball. They drive, they jump stop, so they don't charge. And then they are able to kick it out to shooters. And they usually have five shooters on the court. But you know, even with with Duke and UNC, you've got excellent passers. So I think I think we can oversimplify and just go. Ah, kids today don't pass. Yeah, um, I don't think that's that's accurate. I think that there's a lot of nonsense on social media about individual play.
2: Yeah, but
3: the best the best teams in college basketball have an incredible efficiency, which means how often do you get a good shot and how often do you make it? And a lot of that comes from passing the
5: basketball.
2: Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's go, to, uh, let's go to Bob and Little Ferry. Uh, good morning, Bob. You're on the fan.
5: Good morning, Rick. How are you? Everything doing fine with you?
2: Yes, sir. How about yourself?
5: Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Hanging in there. Nowhere, I don't know who you are, but uh, welcome aboard. Uh, Rick is the, probably the most popular show in the country, for goodness sakes, uh, in regards to subjects like this. Um, mm. You guys want to see pure point guard play? Let's go to the game that's played under the rim. You go take a look at Paige Beckers at the University of Connecticut women's basketball yeah, team. She's, she's you want to talk good. about <laughs> pure guard play? Don't interrupt me about these guys putting up 50-foot three-pointers and everything. This kid has peripheral vision that's incredible. She's also probably the best shot maker herself in the game, but she's able to put both of them together, and she understands the concept of team play. When I played as a kid, Rick, I don't know about you, when you played, but when I played as a kid, we had a guy on the team that, you know, they didn't call it a point guard at that time, but he controlled the game. Mm-hmm. He did average, if he wanted to, 40 points a game. But he distributed the ball. He was very bright. He understood that to have all the guys in the team involved in the game, it was very important as a team so we could win. And I'll tell you something that used to happen, and I'm sure the same thing happens with Paige when she delivers the ball. When this guy used to uh passed the ball to me, it was almost, you know, you do this in a split second, but it was almost like an honor that he passed the ball to me. And I was 1,000% focused. I had to make that shot because he passed me the ball. What an incredible, you know, it was so wonderful what he did to incorporate me into the team flow. I believe that the shooting percentage of people that received the ball from a pure point guard, is way beyond what the normal shooting percentage would be of any person that you know shoots normally. It's incredible what a pure point guard can do. If you want to watch pure point guard play, she's playing tonight in the I was national say, championship. Yeah.
2: Bob, thank th- look, thank you for the call and thank you for bringing up Paige uh, Beckers because. She is an absolute joy to watch, and uh, for those basketball fans, if you haven't seen UConn play with Paige, I mean, uh, she's just a delight because, yeah, she's, she gets it. She gets the big picture. She's unbelievably talented. You just know when the ball is in her hand that either she's going to make something happen, uh, make a great pass, uh, drive to the hoop, make a great shot. She is just, uh, she's just Tremendous. Hey, Noah, i got to take a a break here, uh, and unfortunately I have to move on to some other topics this morning. But uh, as always, it's always really good to talk basketball with you. Uh, I know that sometimes you and I are on different ends of the spectrum, but I certainly respect your your perspective because obviously you played the game at at a high level and obviously cover the game now for for ESPN. So I I thank you so much for for joining us this morning.
3: Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it.
2: Talk to you again soon. I'm sure. That is Noah Savage from ESPN. All right. Let me take a time out. When I come back, I got some other topics uh, I want to discuss with you. So stay with me. All right. Let me give you this follow-up ending to my South Bend White Sox story. Now, if you, as I mentioned last week, if you go to my website at askcoachwolf.com, when you get to the the, the, the website. Just go to the podcast page and you'll see uh, the video package of my three-day playing stint in South Bend, Indiana when I hit 571. And yep, <laughs> that really happened. And as promised, here's the kicker to that, that true story. When the South Bend White Sox went on to win the Midwest League Championship uh, that season, 1989, I was, uh, I was thrilled. Uh, when the team voted that I should receive a league championship ring. Look, I, I only played in three games, but you know, technically I did end up leading the team in hitting with a 571 batting average. <laughs> and then the following spring, uh, the South Bend uh, general manager, the franchise, invited me to their opening game to throw out the first pitch. It was wonderful stuff, just great, great memories. But there's more. Okay, a few years later, one of my teammates on that South Bend White Sox team was a talented left-handed pitcher named Scott Radinsky. I'm sure baseball fans remember Scott. He not only made it to the bigs, but he had a long and a fine career as a relief pitcher. In any event, it was probably in, I'm going to say, 1993. And now I'm working for the Cleveland Indians as their roving sports psychology coach. One day before a game between the White Sox and the Indians uh, in Cleveland. I'm in uniform. I'm out on the field. I'm talking to Indians players uh, as a part of my job. And the White Sox were out doing their stretching and calisthenics and so on and so forth. One of those White Sox players was Scott Radinsky. So he sees me and he sees my name on the back of my Cleveland Indians uniform. And he sort of walks over to me and he says, you know, mind you, I'm now in my 40s. And Scott very innocently and but very sincerely says to me, hey, Rick, are are you now playing for Cleveland? (laughs) (laughs) That is an absolutely true story. And it was very much the very, very best compliment anyone has ever paid to me in my athletic career. I mean, think. He, was, he thought I was really playing for the Indians. Simple as that. But then again, from, from Scott's perspective, he saw me play and hit 571. <laughs> okay. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's take to our, to our callers here. Let's go to uh, to Jack Smithland, uh over in, in uh, Fairlawn. Jack knows something about hitting. Jack, good morning. How are you doing today?
6: Uh, I'm doing okay, Rick. I'm doing okay. Well, real quick on the basketball thing. You want to see passing? Take the... Take the shot clock away. I remember watching years ago, I remember watching Brown, I think, play Harvard. Mm -hmm. I'm not positive if those were the two teams. And I think the game ended 12 to 10. Uh, And, you know, back then you could stall. You could throw the ball around the key a thousand times and nothing happened. And, you know, I think passing is a very, very important part of the game because, you know, it, it, it adds to the game, of course. I had a girl that was a hitter for me. Um, I was her private hitting coach. She played for Woodridge High School. She was also a great basketball player. Now, she scored 2,000 points in her high school career.
2: Pretty impressive. Never
6: made a three. Never made a three and led the team every year in assists.
2: This team is phenomenal. That's pretty good. I I will say this, though. Before I get to you get here, I just want to say, you know, I I happen to be a proponent of, of the shot clock because I do recall those games in the seventies yeah. where were uh, teams boring. decided to say, well, <laughs> we're never going to we're going to we'll, we'll get an early lead, be up by two or three points, you know, you know, six to three or something, that'd be the score, Good. and then the guards would just basically <laughs> dribble the ball endlessly uh, for the rest of the game and, and pass to each other. It was boring, so right. I I do like the shot clock. Um, it Adds a little more. Uh, emphasis on to be able to to move the ball quickly uh, and make some progress with it. But go on, Jack. I think
6: I think during that game I think I fell asleep and when I woke up it was 12 to 10. So <laughs> it was uh <laughs> it was very boring. But let's talk about the hitting part. Yes. First of all, I watched the video and what you did, believe it or not, was amazing. And one of the things that I watched because I always watch hitters you didn't have a long swing. Nope. You were up on the bat. You just put the ball in play. You got the barrel to the ball with force because, believe it or not, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but back then when you were playing and even I was playing and, you know, I mean, I, was, I never got to your level in baseball, but, they, you know, you hit rotationally. You hit with a lower half. You used every ounce of your body to put the ball in play. And, you know, when I, when I showed it to some of my hitters, I actually showed that at my college practice the other day, and I showed it to a few of the girls that are having hitting problems, and I said, this is, this is the complete opposite of a long back, a long swing. Short to the ball, long through the ball, and just put it in play. Now, you also had another attribute that really worked is you were very quick. You were a fast runner, it looked like. you know, so hitting is, is, you know, what you did at that age was just amazing. It really was amazing. Well, you're very and, kind. You know,
2: I, showed, I was going to say, Jack, well, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm right. if the video shows obviously that uh, I'm in my late 30s. Obviously, uh, unfortunately, from the time I had finished, you know, playing in my early 20s, um, you know, I was about 20, 30 pounds lighter, uh, but to the short stroke, I mean, my very first professional bat uh, in the minor leagues back uh, when I was probably, what, 21, 22, first uh, I hit a triple to right center. I really just uh, laced the ball. And also my very last at bat playing minor league baseball, I I singled sharply to to center field. Unfortunately, I don't have many other hits between those two. (laughs) But, you know, I learned from Al Goldis, the Hall of Fame scout, you got to have a short stroke because you're never going to make enough, uh, you're not going to have enough uh, time to to take a big long stroke to to make contact against a ball that's coming in in, in the low nineties or mid nineties. So that was a, a valuable it, it, lesson I had to learn because I was in high school. I had a long big stroke, uh, like like Ted Williams used to always advocate in his book. Uh, but the fact yeah. is that would not work for me uh, at, at the pro level. So I had to make an adjustment. You know, and Ted said the same thing. He said his swing back.
6: Then would not work today. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, when you're trying, you know, when you're when you're hitting a ninety mile an hour fastball, a baseball hitter has less than four tenths of a second to react. When you're hitting a sixty mile an hour um, fast pitch softball from forty three feet away, you have less than three tenths of a second to react. So when you talk about reaction time, you know, short, you know the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, getting that barrel to that ball as quick as possible, but what you did what you did was amazing. It really was. And I actually did use it and I showed it to a few of my girls That have this long swing, and I'm trying to get their hands inside, and all the stuff that you talk about with me. And I've actually talked to Al, and Al and I are on the same page when it comes to hitting. And you know, and I'm 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 glad that you connected with him. But um, also the stuff that Noah said is amazing. And you know, the passing part of it is very important in the game of basketball. In fact, in hockey and soccer. You can have two assists on a, on, a, on a score. So passing is important. They rate it, they grade it, and you get credit for it. So I, I like passing. I, you know, shooting is great. You want points to be scored. You know, I mean, bringing it back, throwing, you know, having great passers who can be a four-tool player. They can play defense. They can dribble. They can jump and shoot. And pass those. Those are great attributes. That that adds to a great game of basketball.
2: Oh, I agree. A lot, uh, Rick. Uh, Jack, thank you as always for your thoughts and, and your kind words. Uh, you know, and and the reason why I like to have Noah come on the show uh, is because of the fact that he, he 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 knows the game of basketball so well. I, I don't know. if any other, people, any other person who was more connected to the game at all different levels. And, and uh, obviously, he grew up with a passion for the sport, but he also brings a perspective to the sport that, quite frankly, is often sometimes uh, contrary to what my perception is. And, and he, he obviously does his homework. He knows what he's talking about. And I think he's just a, a breath of fresh air when it comes to telling me and obviously, you about how the game of basketball is being played these days, and what goes to the minds of college coaches, uh, NBA scouts, what they're looking for in terms of finding the next great uh, superstar, in terms of the world of hoops. Uh, let's move on with our calls. Let's go to uh, let's go to Nick over in New Jersey. Hey, Nick. Good morning. You're on the fan. Morning, Coach.
7: Hi, Nick. Uh, well, I'm on the last segment about basketball, but if it's you want Don. No, go ahead. Oh, my take on, on basketball is that uh, when they changed the. Oh, I'm 75, so I played. When we were taught, move the ball, move the ball, get it inside, move the ball, look for the open shot on the outside. But they allowed with the changes, and I mean the changes in, you know, what the kids do today for the young gentlemen with this carrying the ball, all that would have been a walk, a carry on us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> might, yes.
7: Every kid that dribbles today grabs it from underneath over, grabs it from so I, I feel they were able to develop more because they're allowed to get away with more. Uh-huh So then it becomes a showboat because they can drive this way and that way. I'm not sure that the athletes are any they're bigger, but I'm not sure they're any greater than the old athletes would have been had they been allowed to do the stuff they do today. That, that was my take on it. As well, I told Ed, in, I have, you know, it's always my opinion, except at home, it's my wife's opinion.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, well said. Hey, th- th- thanks for the call, Nick. And uh, you know, we we all have noticed the fact that uh, in today's game, there's a much more leeway in terms of the of the dribblers and the guys bringing the ball up court than you know maybe. 20 years ago, uh, you'd be called for for palming the ball or for a travel. Not so much these days, and maybe it actually helps the kids in terms of being able to direct the ball to make a quicker, sharper pass. I don't know, but the fact is it's become sort of like uh, part of the action now. Nobody seems to ever uh, complain, and if somebody were called for... For you know, carrying the ball or, or palming the ball, as it used to be called. I mean, it would be kind of like what 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 are we doing that for? I mean, that's why are you making that call? So I think the fact that everybody sort of universally accepted this as being part of the the, the game today—that's just how it goes. Simple as that. Let's uh, continue with our calls if we can. Let's go over to uh, to Ron in Greenwich. Good morning, Ron. You're next up on the fan.
4: Uh, thanks, Rick. I got three things to say. How about Pistol Pete Maravich?
2: Yeah. Just,
4: that's right. Nobody mentioned him. And uh, for baseball, how about Tony Gwynn's uh, uh, hitting
2: video? Uh, two for two. I mean, you know, okay. Pistol Pete was a pleasure to watch because he could score, he could pass in a very circus-like uh, kind of way. And yeah. Gwynn, of course, is all about uh, hitting the ball where it's pitched, short stroke, yeah. and a great, great all-time hitter.
4: And if you ever saw that NBA game where Pistol Pete scored, what, 50-some games or 50-some points?
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
4: those are the three things nobody's mentioned today. Okay, I'll get off. Go ahead.
2: Thanks, Thanks. Ron. Appreciate the call. Yeah, I mean, I, look, basketball, baseball, these are sports with long, long histories. And, uh, you know, we we know that that, that sports... Usually go around in cycles, uh, but you know, we. I, I'm glad that, that you know, Ron re- reminded us that Pistol P. Maravich, uh, when he played in college at LSU and obviously in the NBA, I mean, this was a guy who brought a different kind of uh, a refreshing approach to the game. Yeah, he could score, and he scored a lot all the time, but he also was amazing in terms of seeing the court, seeing the open man, and when obviously other teams tried to... To clamp down on on Maravich, he found the open guy to make a a quick pass and an easy score. And obviously with Tony Gwynn, look, there are all sorts of great, great hitters, but Tony really made it into an everyday practice of learning how to discipline himself with a short stroke. Tony Gwynn was not, of course, a home run hitter. He was a guy who put the ball in play, used the entire field. He gave what the pitcher gave him in terms of hitting the ball to where it was pitched. That's something that we often concern ourselves these days, uh, you know, with baseball because uh, we worry that maybe the, the the players today are just all about try to hit home runs, and you know if they learn more to put the ball hit it, hit it where it's pitched. I mean, I was watching the Yankee game yesterday in in spring training game, and Aaron Hicks gets up and puts down a perfect bunt down the third baseline. Uh, it wasn't like it was, uh, you know, it wasn't very like uh, the last second. He basically sort of squared around, and said, I'm going to put a bunt down. <laughs> and he, the bunt went down the third baseline. And, of course, there was nobody who could get it because the, uh, the Orioles were in a shift. And before you know it, I mean, Hicks walked down to first base with a base hit. That is real baseball. That's how the game is supposed to be played. You, you give what the pitcher gives you. You take it. You take what the, the infield, outfield gives you. That's how the game was supposed to be played. Okay, look, before I forget, I, I do want to just uh, wrap up the show by talking about that, that, that sort of impromptu survey that I went through last week on the show because there's obviously critically important stuff. And look, there's no question that the biggest concern for all of us still seems to focus on parents being much too involved and much too overbearing in terms of their interactions with, uh, with coaches and officials and The expectations that they place on their kids in terms of sports and to me the the operative word here is friction friction among parents and coaches and kids the parents and their expectations for their youngsters just seem to add a layer of unwanted friction into our equation And as we know, this friction, these things didn't exist a generation or two ago when sports parents didn't interfere with coaches. And they just let their kids go out and play on their own. But so until we finally figure this out, I'm afraid we're going to have this, again, this term I use of friction, it's going to continue in youth and amateur sports. And maybe the time has just come to be even more honest about this. And for coaches and parents to meet in their towns and communities, and really directly talk about these issues. Maybe that's the best approach, that at least if moms and dads and coaches are communicating directly about what we really want for our kids to enjoy about sports, then perhaps the parents would think twice about confronting the coach or getting involved. And I do think that's an idea worth considering. No, I'm not talking about a pre-season meeting where a coach hands out a sheet of paper to remind parents to behave. No, no, no. I'm thinking we need a much more comprehensive and open and interactive session with the coaches and the parents and the athletic director to discuss what our priorities are and to get these out in the open. We really, really need the parents to understand that our kids' coaches are truly working hard to improve our kids and to get them to reach their full athletic potential. And again, parents, it's okay to dream. but. We have to be much more realistic about our youngsters' true abilities. And we have to find a way to calm ourselves and to try and see our kids' abilities in the same way that the rest of the world does. You have to be objective. It's as simple as that. Okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks, as always, to Ed Arzuman. Mark Malusis, the Moose, is up next. I'll see you next week right here on the Sports Edge.
1: So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.
0: I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on and you know them. We talk about the sports you care about, basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball.